In the spirit of reconciliation, Tabletop Unknown acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Tabletop Unknown Hello and welcome back to Tabletop Unknown, the show where we playtest lesser-known tabletop RPG games. My name is Will and with me, as always, is Jesse. How are you, Jesse? Good, thank you, Will. Good, thank you. Good to be back. Season four, oh, here we season go. Season four, I am looking forward to it. It's been a long, <laughs> long term. For those who uh, don't know, I'm a teacher and it's just, yeah, it's been crazy with this a snap lockdown we've just come out of. Yeah, insane. Absolutely insane. So that's obviously thrown a spanner in the works for a lot of people. Yes. Um, but it's good that we're starting to ease restrictions a bit, which is nice. Absolutely. So- yeah, no, it's nice to be able to get out and about again and to have that that um, that sort of sense of freedom, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, like it, it's weird. Freedom it, to do stuff. Yeah, like obviously the lockdown's important in, you know, curbing the the growth of this, of this unfortunate virus, but it is nice to be able to get out and about and see people again and get back around the table. Exactly, and it's it's so funny. I have once again in lockdown. I've played more D and D and more tabletops than I have yeah. outside because suddenly everyone's like, "Hey Jesse, can you run a game online?" And I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, right." And well, then yeah. suddenly. Every game's getting resurrected that we haven't played in three months. And it's like, okay, guys, I am literally playing tabletops every night this week. Can we chill? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. But yeah, so hopefully that will slow down uh, now coming out of lockdown and I can get back to a normal amount of games. But yeah. Yeah, well, we, we'll our, uh, our group played twice in the week, which is, uh, is yeah, new twice. for us. So yeah, absolutely no, insane. I, I can imagine yeah. that that'd be the case across the board. But look, uh, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, or those of you who may have forgotten, on this show, we choose a system, we test it with players, and then we talk about it. And this season, we will be exploring Bubble Gumshoe, published by Evil Hat Productions. It was released in 2016. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. This new, this new, our first sort of, I don't think we've spoken about it, but we, we sort of planned three seasons when we when we uh of the genesis of this show we knew exactly what three seasons we were going to do and what what, um and and who was going to do them and that sort of thing but now this is our first sort of i guess this is like season two of our seasons i guess this is is where we sort of uh play with the formula a little bit if we need to yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) so um, we know what we're doing now i guess (laughs) well i mean you know don't make that promise it's still going to be chaotic as heck so We'll see how we well, go. That's that's how we want it. That's an accurate representation <laughs> of tabletops, I think. So absolutely is good. Um, but another interesting thing about it is that this time, this season's the first season where we're covering a system that doesn't cover a specific intellectual property. So first up, Correct. we had Star Wars, then we had Pokemon, then we had The Witcher, and now we've got a system that just sort of lives inside of a genre almost, which I which think is, is really fascinating. It's very exciting. It, it gives you, as the GM, a lot of freedom yeah. <laughs> um, of creativity, which is wonderful, and we love to see that. Um, before we get into it, though, 
I'll just quickly remind everyone the structure of our seasons and how this works. So episode one, which is what you're listening to, we will introduce you to the system and the world and sort of explain the rules and that sort of thing. Episodes two to five are the real play story section where we get in actors or friends of ours um, that have played tabletops to test the system with us. Um, And then our final episode, which is generally five or six, is our pizza talk where we debrief with the GM, talk about the storyline and also talk about what we thought of the game itself mainly that last one there Mm. but yeah so that's how it works here at Tabletop Unknown. Yeah, and once again, we've managed to assemble a, a stellar cast, uh, which I'm really excited to get into the studio with. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be great. Very exciting. All wonderful people. Can't can't wait to talk shit and derail you with a bunch of our friends. Which has already great. started. I, I won't go into it too much because of spoilers, but uh, some of the character information I've been getting is uh, chaotic. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be chaotic. Soz not soz. <laughs> I wouldn't expect um, anything less. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm glad we have that understanding. Anyway, so <laughs> so in case you heard, haven't heard of Bubblegum Shoe, I'm just going to quickly talk about what Bubblegum Shoe is, and then I'm going to prompt Will into talking about the system itself. So Bubblegum Shoe is a teen detective story game. Now, if you're not really familiar with the teen detective sort of genre, it's a massive genre. It's been around for a very long time. Um, common example of uh, modern times is Veronica Mars is considered of that genre what else do you have you have nancy drew yeah. is sort of the traditional beginning i guess of that genre a lot of those nancy really early nancy drew books yep uh, the hardy um, boys i guess is from the same hardy sort of boys. Era. yeah absolutely all those sorts of ips revolving around teens investigating things if you really wanted to th- if you really wanted to push the genre you could even say maybe stranger things has a little bit of those vibes yeah absolutely a bunch of teenagers investigating something but with a sort of eerie dark supernatural twist mm. so that's the sort of genre that bubble gum show is built for um so bubble gum um is has been written by three writers uh emily card boss kenneth Height and Lisa Steele. Hope I've said all those right. Yes, I have. We'll, right. uh, we'll, we'll apologize in advance for any butchering of names. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's the three of them. They've done very well. And obviously they have a massive team behind them of additional writers, editors um, and indexes. So congratulations to them for getting this system out. It's a wonderful system. Uh, Evil Hat Productions was the people who did it as well. If you're still not entirely sure on what the genre is, you're basically, you're teenagers, you're in high school, you're dealing with typical teenage stuff, relationships with other people, but also with this over-branching mystery or some sort of thing that is happening going on that these teenagers getting are getting invested in mm. outside of their regular teen daily angst. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's pretty much uh, everything there is to say about it. Um, it takes... It's, uh, it's worth noting that this system was originally is based on the gumshoe system by Robin Laws, which is pretty much where this actual genre comes from, which is noir. So that like detective gumshoe noir, film noir sort of setting, 1920s, 30s, 40s, that sort of setting is what birthed this sort of subgenre of like detectives yeah. and noir itself. So yeah. that's sort of the genesis of this system and, and, and the genre behind it as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it is interesting when you sort of have a look at the uh, original gumshoe system, the, the the changes that they've made to very much steep it in a teenage world. And one of the biggest changes is around combat, which I'll get to a bit later. But um, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it is fascinating to see how they've taken this system set in a very sort of gritty, hard-boiled world and gone, hang on, well, we can make this um, relating to teen detectives if we just change a couple of things. So yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, Will, I think that's enough about the system. So mm. why don't you take us straight into character creation? So talk about how this game expects us to build our characters and what the focus is here. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, character creation, uh, if you've played any sort of RPG game um, in the past, RPG games probably a bit of a redundant sentence, isn't it? Because role-playing game. If you've played any games, RPG- games. Yeah. <laughs> if you've played any RPG in the past, you know roughly how character creation works. You create a character that exists in this world and you give them drives and, and ambitions and um, skills and all this sort of stuff. Um but look, I'll, I'll get into skills first. So the skills that your character can have and the characters, one thing I really love about this game is that they they call all of the characters uh, sleuths. So you are a sleuth, you're a detective in that sense. And another thing that I think is very cool about this book in particular is that they default all of the pronouns to female pronouns, which is not something you see a lot in, It's it feels very male centric I guess. Would you? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I agree. I feel like the tabletop role playing world has been very male centric for a very long time, mm. you know, and, and, and as we know now in in 2021 that that's not because girls don't enjoy these things. It's because marketing very early on decided that boys would like these particular things, so we'll market them to boys. It's exactly the same with video games. Yeah. Video games are predominantly male-dominated because that's where all the marketing went. Yeah, we absolutely. Know that- Girls absolutely love video games as much as men. There is no gender um, discrepancy there. Everyone Mm. loves it. It's just actually how accessible is it? So it's really great to see a book such as this definitely just embracing that and aiming it at a female audience, which is great. It's not to say that this game is female-centric. I don't think it is. I don't think it's no, any no, gender-centric. And they, say, they say it as well. It doesn't have to be – you don't have to be playing female characters, but that's just the way they've, that they've written the book, and I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. It's really good, uh, and especially since this is, what, six years ago? Yeah, uh, yeah, five, yeah, yeah, five. Six. Five, yeah, so that's great. But um, you were telling us about the different types of, or you mentioned that there's mm. the skills are a real focus of character creation. So yeah. w- what what are they? What are the differences between them? Okay, so you've got three sort of broad categories of skills that you can choose from when you're creating your character. Um, you have investigative skills, which are skills that are used to investigate, to solve the mysteries. When you go to a crime scene and you gather clues, these are the skills that are going to really help you gather those clues together. Um, and they include things, a lot of sort of knowledge skills. So uh, knowledge on um, fashion, what's popular, what's not. Knowledge on um, what the outdoors is all about. If you you know see a broken branch, you would recognize that through your outdoors skill. Uh Things about uh, pop culture, again, what's popular amongst um, teenagers at the time, what's not popular, town law, so knowing things about the town and and who owns which business and which business has gone into um, uh, gone under recently, uh, locations of various things around the town. 
Uh, that's all sort of falling under these investigative skills. And there is other investigative skills as well, but I won't break down each single one. But yeah, anything that you use to gather clues and solve the mystery falls under investigative abilities or investigative skills. Uh, next up, we have interpersonal skills. And interpersonal skills are just any skill where you interact with other people. So things like right. intimidation or or negotiation, um, taunting. Flirting. Yeah, flirting, <laughs> flattering. Performing. Yeah, Great. all of that sort of stuff falls under interpersonal skills. Um, lastly, we have just uh, general skills. And general skills are sort of anything else that generally very physical skills. Um, so things that... Well, not, not necessarily just physical skills, but sort of, I suppose it does, they do, there is a lot of physical abilities in there. Right. It's not necessarily like, so investigative is stuff that you sort of innately have a predisposition towards. Mm. Interpersonal is obviously very charisma based in how you interact with people, but yep. general abilities, as far as I can see, seems to be things that your character would have learnt. Yeah. Yeah. Or has had to learn. Yeah, exactly. So like a, a computer, computers is a general ability, being able to hack into websites, um, um, being able to sort of, uh, I suppose, code things, all of that falls under computer ability, which, yeah, you, like you said, is things that you would have learnt. Um, first aid is a general ability. So, again, learning that, um, all that sort of stuff. So those are sort of the, the three broad categories of skill that you can allocate points to. Outside of that, the book does say that if you want to create a skill that is more focused and narrow or maybe more specific than any of the other skills uh, allow you to be, you you can create that skill as well. And these are called cap abilities or cap skills, uh, which I've only just realized is like capabilities. Um, oh, so, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so there are cap abilities and you can only buy up to a certain level of skill in a, in a, cap, uh, a cap ability, but it does allow for that negotiation um, for if you want to create a, a character that doesn't necessarily fit into any of these particular skills, how they might be able to... Um, to, I suppose, uh, show their strengths, which I think is really fantastic. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's worth noting that the book sort of pushes you to, if you want a capability, they're like, great, you only you can have this ability. No one else in your party can have it. So it's very much yours if you want uh, your specialization, which I think is great. And it also... The book also points out when you're assigning your all your points in those different skills, it's like take into consideration what other people have and you want to broadly cover everything. You don't want everyone to have the same thing. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is interesting. Yeah, it makes it a very collaborative sort of game. Yeah, already within character creation, you are being told to consider your other party members, which is great for teamwork. We love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's uh, those are the sort of broad categories of skill and, and the, the capabilities as well. Um, now, at the start of building your character and, and deciding which skills you want to um, level up and which skills you, you might want to ignore, you're told... Um, how many skill points you get to to allocate to these skills based on the number of players that are going to be in your in your campaign. As an example, if you have two players in the campaign, and that's outside of the GM, so two actual players, you get eight points to allocate to investigative skills, twelve to allocate to interpersonal skills, and eighteen to allocate to your relationships um, relationships, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. Because we're playing with four people, you guys all got six points to allocate to your investigative skills, 
uh, nine to allocate to your interpersonal skills, and then 13 to allocate to your relationships as well. Right. Yeah. Um, now, let me tell you, it was hard to, to allocate those points. I was like, oh, but I want my character to be this. I want yeah. my character to be that. I spent a lot of time looking at like, well, if I bring this down, I can put this up and that sort of thing. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so outside of that, you'll notice I didn't mention general abilities, um, and that's because regardless of, of whether you're playing with two or 12 players you all get 40 general points to spend in your general skill section as well as that you get four points for free to allocate to your cool and we'll get into what cool is in a couple of minutes yeah but it's it's interesting you say that uh about you know wanting to be good at at kind of everything it doesn't really give you a lot to to work with there like six points in investigative (laughs) is not a lot when you look at the number of skills that there are yeah, it's it's really it's really hard because like you want like you don't want to be like mediocre at everything. You want certain things that you've taken to be quite you you want them to be strong mm. abilities. You want to have them for a reason. Like you don't just have these broad ones on everything and you're like, well, I can kind of do everything, yeah. but not very good. Yeah. So No, exactly. Yeah, I guess that's your trade-off. Like you're choosing specializations over like broadly being good at everything. Yeah. And something that the book sort of um says uh briefly, it doesn't go into it a lot, but it does say that if you don't have any uh, points allocated to a certain skill. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means that you're not very good at it. So as an example, driving is a general skill. If you allocated no points to driving, it doesn't mean you can't drive. It just means that if you had to drive under duress or if you had to take evasive maneuvers, you probably wouldn't be very good at that sort of thing. So yeah, even though you are given these points to allocate to skills, don't feel like you're pigeonholed into those skills and into those abilities because you can you can do other things as well. Great. That's wonderful to know because um, <laughs> sometimes you're like, well, I have not put any points into computers, so- can I not turn the computer on? Like, what's the deal? Like, <laughs> you turn it on, it like, blows up. <laughs> yeah, it's 2021. Everyone knows how to turn on a computer. Exactly, like, yeah. Like, you find a lot of games, you actually have this problem where it's like, well, come on, like, I know how to start a car. Yeah, exactly, like, yep, yeah. Well, yeah. You, you rolled you rolled very low, though, so you don't. And you're like, but I'm a person <laughs> that lives in the world. I'm an adult. <laughs> I know how to turn on a car. That's sort of the skill point allocating. Now, when you allocate uh, points to a skill, you are building up what's called your skill pool. Now, this is where I think the skill system can be a little bit confusing. But again, we'll uh, we'll talk about it more in our Pizza Talk episode, I guess. When you have points in a skill, at the start of the of the the session, you those number of points are your skill pool. So, if I put two points into, let's say, photography as an investigative skill. At the start of the at the start of the session, I have two points in my pool. Now, from your pool, you can spend points to add to a dice roll to make it more likely to succeed. So I could take right. I could take one point from my my two points in photography. Was it? I think I was talking about to add to my roll, so that if I roll a three instead, it's going to be a four, which means that I'd I'd be more likely to succeed in that skill check. The important thing to distinguish between your skill level and your skill pool is that your skill pool will reduce as you spend points, but it doesn't change your skill level. Does that right. sort of make sense? Yeah. So yeah. what? So the, the skill pool is determined by how much points you have in that skill. Yes. At the start Great. of the session. That's going to reduce as you spend points, but your skill level stays the same. 
So it's more like your skills are a resource that you can run out of in a way. In a way, if yeah. You wanna, if you if you want to keep trying to use them to their fullest ability, guaranteed every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and and another example of this is again, if I just go back to driving as a general skill for a second, as I spend points from the driving skill, if I put five, if my driving level is five. I have five points in my pool. I could spend all of my all of my points in my pool, leaving me with zero, but my skill is still at a five. So if there was a check that required the person with the highest level of driving skill to take part or something, it's still I would still be at a level five for that, even though I have no points in my pool. Yeah, it's just you can no longer add to your roles. Yeah, it? yeah, exactly. You are, you are still competent. You are still good at the skill. Yeah. However, you just you cannot assure your victory anymore. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, and as your level Wonderful. goes up, skill checks would potentially get easier. Even though, yeah, you, I yeah. see. Okay, so that's sort of the that, like I said, that I think is the trickiest part about skill level versus skill pool, um, and that is the bit that I think took the the longest to get my head around. So hopefully, we haven't lost our listeners just yet. Um, so next up, we will talk about cool, which I mentioned just before. Cool. As a as a general, when you get your general build points, you have four points that you can add for free in cool. Now, cool falls under general abilities but it also kind of acts as your health mm, and mm. what it means is your just your ability to keep your cool um keeping your cool head keeping you know your your emotions in check all of that sort of stuff okay see in my brain i was like how much of the fonz am i like but yeah, I, I see it's more like it can kind of mean that as well and this is where Ooh, it's sort right. of, like yeah, it is nice. a little bit flexible like that um as an example uh someone who is sort of the you know school royalty will have a really high cool level which means that you know, yes, in one sense, they are the coolest kid, but also they are going to take more. It's going to take more to hit their cool to the point where they lose their cool. Yeah, right. I yeah. see. So it kind of acts as both. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But as I said, it also acts as kind of your health. When you run out of cool, you lose your mind. You go bananas. You you burst <laughs> into tears or you uh, break down. In You roll up in a ball and, and can't move. All of that sort of stuff. Um so, yeah, it kind of acts like your health as well, which I think is really interesting because one thing about this system, and we've got, a, we've got a section where we'll talk about combat later, but one thing about this system is that physical combat is really discouraged. It's, um, it's, it's said repeatedly, this isn't a violent game. You shouldn't be looking to make violent characters. Yeah. So this idea of cool and keeping your head becomes the combat, if you will, um, which again, yeah, like I said, we'll get into that later. But that's cool. Do you have any questions cool. about that? No, it seems pretty straightforward. I, I like the idea that it's sort of this broad representation for your, um, or like like how well you're doing. Like obviously, if you're on a higher amount of health, like you, you you're doing fine, and yeah. if you're taking a lot of hits, like you're going to be quite low. So you know how far you're pushing your character and in what they can and can't do, and you know that something's going to give eventually. So I do like that. Mm. Because it also means it could it could be anything that drops down your cool. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's because it's this sort of non-defined health representation. Yeah, it, it, it could be it could be anything. And there is um, um, there's certain areas of the town map which we'll get into again in in a, in a couple of minutes. But there's areas of the town map which are defined as adult areas, and to enter those areas. You have to spend cool points sometimes, oh, so okay, it okay. becomes almost like a currency you can trade, as well as your ability to maintain a cool head, as well as how cool you are in a in a sort of very 
social sense. Mm. So cool yep. is really okay. important in this game. Wonderful. Mm. Now there's there there's, seems to be sort of two more things that we haven't touched on yet. So for character, and that's sort of some broader definitions of who you are as a person, which yep. is like class, clique, and club. Yep. And then we have the relationships. Do you want to take us through those? Because yeah. I feel like they they seem like they're not very important at first, but they actually quite are quite defining. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, class, click, and club are three uh, descriptors you can use to really define who your character is and where they've come from. So class refers to their socioeconomic class. So whether you are from um, the the rich kids or whether you're a part of the, you know, the the wrong side of the tracks, you know, whether you're uh, from a single working family, all of this sort of thing determines your class. Right. Okay. Yeah. Class can also affect, again, if we come back to cool just for a second, class can also yep. affect um, you're cool. And, and as I said, there are certain areas that you might have to pay cool to enter. Depending on your class, you may have to pay less cool to enter that area. I see. If you had a character that was from, you know, government housing, they might have to spend less cool to enter the government housing than, say, someone who is from an upper class family or an upper crust family. Yeah, because they're clearly standing out. It's like, what are you doing here? Like, yeah, you don't belong here. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So that's it's a bit uh, about where you belong in society as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, so that's class. Now, next up, we have click, and the click is sort of your your sleuth's natural friendship and social base. Um, so sometimes your class and click might be very similar. So if you had a click that was the upper crust, and you're from the upper crust, that's your class. You might belong to that click as well. But the click is just, if you think about high school and you think about any movie that's dealt with high school, a click is just those social groups that you see. Those are the stoner kids. Those are the metal kids. Those are the goths. That's your click. Yeah, I see. Yeah. So this is like start of 21 Trump Street, sort of like there's the nerds, there's yeah. the environmentalists. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Sort of, yeah, yeah, great. yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Um, now- So does that, does that come with any sort of benefits- uh, it can do again things like cool checks or um, access to certain um, knowledge based on the click membership can certainly have benefits. So if you were a jock and you belonged to the jock click, you could potentially become uh, aware of knowledge that is circulating the 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 change rooms and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I so see. yeah, it's it's a bit more uh, it's a bit more. F- loose in terms of how it describes how these clicks can be used. But again, it seems like all three of these basically allow you to access either areas or knowledge that you might not otherwise be able to access. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the last one is club. Now I feel like this is, does it, this one's a bit more like really super like defining, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, the club basically refers to some sort of activity that you engage in that doesn't exactly fit either your class or your clique. Um, so, as an example, you might belong to the upper crust. Your clique is the cheerleaders. But your club might be uh, the drama club or the chess club or something like that that doesn't necessarily fit with your class or your clique. Right. I see. I see. And again, it is about um, giving access to different areas of the school. So if you had a sleuth that was from the upper crust and they were in the cheerleading clique and their club was cheerleading, it's kind of limiting the the knowledge and skills that you or sleuth would bring to the team. And this is very much a, a game about teamwork, as we said before. 
So you want to, even though it may sort of take away from the realism a little bit, you want to make your sleuths as well-rounded as possible. Yeah. Okay. Like no one is wholly into one entire facet of their personality. And this is how we represent that. Now, I suppose in terms of our campaign, one of the clubs that you can belong to is the school newspaper, but I've sort of made that the setting for our, our sleuths. So that's sort of, I suppose, an extra club on top of the club that you guys have already defined in your characters. So yeah, for example, my club, I think is the, is the yearbook. So yeah, exactly. yeah, because my character's a photographer the, to the yearbook, it makes sense that they also take photos for the school newspaper. Yeah. Paper. That's how I've married the two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, those, those are sort of the other, the, the three sort of defining factors of your character's background. Now, the last thing we want to talk about is relationships. And this game puts a lot of emphasis on uh, sleuth relationships, not necessarily with each other, so not necessarily with you guys all playing the game together, but with um, other people in the town. So it really encourages you to think about and define relationships with family, with friends, and even hate relationships. All of these relationships can play a part in um, the story that's going to be told. Now, I said at the went back way back, you know, ten minutes ago when we were talking about um, the the skill point allocations that each char- yep. when you're creating a character. You get now. Let me just pull up so I make sure I say the right thing. Um, it was thirteen for four. People. Yeah, thirteen for four people. So thirteen points to allocate to relationships. Now you have three types of relationships. You have loves, you have likes, and you have hates. <laughs> and each of those uh, levels or each of those sort of categories of relationship, you can have up to six points in that relationship. In the way that this game tries to represent those relationships is that the stronger you feel about a person with that particular relationship, the more points you're going to allocate them. So if you have a love relationship with, say, your mum and your dad, you might love your mum a little bit more. So they're going to get, you know, the full six points, whereas your dad, you, you're sort of arguing with a little bit. You're a moody teenager. Maybe they're only going to get a four. It's still a love relationship, but there's less points allocated to them. And the reason why they are, you allocate points to those relationships is because like the skill pools in general, interpersonal and uh, investigative skills, you can spend relationship points to access other skill sets and other knowledge that you might not necessarily have access to. So if you had a parent who was, um, let's say they ran a um, the local bakery Mm. You might be able to access knowledge um, that they might have on people, you know, strangers who have come to town or, or local mutterings within the local business network and things like that. You can access that knowledge by spending relationship points. Yeah. Information on bread. Great. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> so What's good. hot in the bread world, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> well, you na- now, son, you need a sourdough starter. That's where it all <laughs> It's 2021. I have seven sourdough starters. Oh, boy. Did you have a sourdough starter last year? I, I didn't. I instead uh, learned how to make cheesecakes. So <laughs> a, an excellent I, I, skill. I, I put my points into a different skill, uh, <laughs> skill tree of the baking area. Well, Hey, you know what? Maybe we'll change it to cheesecake talk. Yeah, maybe. So, <laughs> so from what I can see, relationships are your, are also a way to sort of access adults as well and their abilities. Yeah. Cause I, I, 
I put mainly my relationship points into adults. Yes. When I made my character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, if you had and one government agency, but <laughs> yeah, that'll come out, um, I guess, next yeah. week. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, but. But so it's so like it, it's four things that are again more specialized as well, isn't it? So yeah, absolutely. So if you had like a a parent or an older sibling or a cousin or someone who worked as the local sheriff, that relationship allows you to access or you know attempt to access yeah. information yep. that only the police would have access to. So running, that's actually running a, really a number good plate, one. things like that. I wish I thought I wish I thought of that. Yeah. That's a really good one. <laughs> I wish any of you had thought of that. <laughs> oh, I know. I made my dad run a barbecue store. I'm an idiot. <laughs> anyway. Damn it, Dad, um, why don't you have a cool job? Yeah. Um, um yeah, so- is there anything else we're missing in relationship? Oh, actually I should remember this. I so when I was making my character I chose a hate. Yes. Now, a hate gives you extra points if you take it, doesn't it? I, th- I think I, I took a hate of three. Yeah. And I think that's the minimum of a hate you can take, right? Yes, it is. And it, uh, you're right. It does give you points, that, extra points that you can allocate to other relationships, so to likes and loves. So you can make a love relationship stronger or a like relationship stronger um, by, by taking a hate, by creating a hate. But the um the game does really encourage you to think about which characters you might hate, and because it's it's likely that you know your your sleuth isn't going to get along with everyone. So who do they not? Who do they really not like? Yeah. Okay. So it says it says in the in the rules that you create a hate for us. So is this this is like an additional. So so. In theory, because I've chosen a hate of myself and yeah. you give us one, yeah. I've, I will have two hates now. Um, in theory, but I haven't really done that. I've just sort of let you guys decide who you're, okay. who felt right for your character to not like. And I've let you yeah. sort of just go with that alone. I'm not, I'm not going to really go into that. You're not going to double down. But no. So essentially the hate- the hate gives you as a GM resources to use for the story and for the players. Yeah. Yeah, so it it, it just really allows for that sort of character development. And this is a game that really focuses on character and story. And and these- they can you can get new ones as well, can't you? You're not limited to what's just in character creation. No. So that is the thing I was just about to mention is that, again, the game really encourages you to think about how your relationships might change based on events. So if you have a, say you have your, let's go back to the, the sheriff example again. So if you have a, yeah. an older sibling or a, a parent who is a sheriff and you spend all of those points trying to access certain privileged information, that relationship could really shift dynamic if it's unsuccessful. And how might that affect that person's job? How might, you know, are they going to get into trouble for, a, you know, turning their back on you while you access private information? So that love relationship could very well change into a like relationship and vice versa. You could have hate relationships that based on, you know, events that occur throughout the story turn into a like relationship or even a love relationship. Let's say you have a hate relationship with the, you know, the quarterback from the, the, uh, what did I call them? The Winston Green Panthers, I think. Um, yes. You could have that hate relationship, but maybe being kidnapped with that person has changed that relationship into a love relationship. You start dating, all that sort of stuff. They they really, really encourage, like I said, they really encourage this character development and this story development and the relationship development. Um, so I think this is a game that would really benefit from the long format, the the you know, the yeah. multi-session campaigns and all that sort of stuff. 
um, because it would really provide some interesting opportunities to explore those relationship dynamics and mechanics in in full. Yeah, great. I can see it's it's a bit hard for us. Like a lot of these systems, it's hard for us because we're doing just a very quick season. Yeah, you know, like in a single day, <laughs> it, it's hard to sort of explore those further things. So it's good to mention them. I think. Yeah. Um, is that pretty much everything for character creation? It is. Yeah. The only other thing I want to sort of talk about in this section is the way that your the the book and the way that you are encouraged to create a town that essentially is a character okay now you um you are encouraged to create a town to really fill that out with both npcs and businesses and and really think about how the town might come alive in a story and how your characters re- you know um interact with the town and 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 what sort of um uh what sort of characteristics your town has? So I've chosen a very small town vibe. If you think like Gilmore Girls or uh, Stranger Things to to bring that one back, if you think about small town vibes, that's the 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 town that I've sort of created in Winstead Green. But it does right. give you sort of guidelines into creating larger towns um, and giving the town some sort of overarching problem um yeah so the, the game really encourages you to firstly think about how big your town is now they they've given this default size as somewhere between 15 and forty thousand people um, but definitely under a hundred thousand and they say that your town should be close enough to a major city that the problems from that major city might sort of bleed out into the town but far enough mm, away so that okay. it is a, its own definite sort of um ecosphere but yeah they do really encourage you to think about uh, creating a town map, how that might, how your town might be laid out, how it might look, um, and inside of that as well, making your school and thinking about, oh, um, yeah, okay. thinking about the dynamics of your particular school. Is it a, you know, is it a local school? Do you have to travel a little bit because your town's too small? All that sort of stuff is really encouraged, and you you are encouraged to think about the town as its own character and to treat it as such. That's really great. It's cool because with those small towns, these 15 to 40 thousands, really you can sort of get every single aspect of society because if they're that far out, you can get farms and stuff, but obviously they're going to have a city centre. Yeah, exactly. So you can have all these interesting things. You're not really limited by the setting at all and what you need to contain. And I, I don't know about you, but I find the idea of these sort of small towns really fascinating. Like I grew up in, you know, metropolitan Melbourne. I've never really known this sort of vibe, um, but we just recently watched Mayor of Easttown. Have you ever seen it? No. So it's a it's a short sort of one season story from HBO and it's got Kate Winslet in it. And it is set in a very small town where everyone knows each other. Everyone is either related to each other or is dated at some point in time or went to school together. And it's it's really, really fascinating. And so thinking about a town as a character like that and thinking about how all these NPCs are going to sort of interact with each other, with the sleuths. It, yeah, it's, it is it is a really fascinating part of creating this this world. That it seems, like, it seems like it might get complicated on your end, just sort of tracking everything. But also I love the idea that the, like, the more you play, the more the players get to know the town a bit and then you can sort of step back. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's one of the best things I think as a GM is being able to step back from, from those lore um, like like keeping control of the law, especially as it happens in real time. Another system that does that really well is uh, Powered by the Apocalypse. It's a great one yeah. for that, where it just it really gets the players involved and sort of dictates, lets them dictate 
some stuff that isn't necessarily relevant to your storyline. So I imagine it's quite similar or it could get quite similar. Yeah, for sure. Um, once everyone sort of gets gets the town down and they sort of have an understanding of it. Yeah. No, absolutely. So that's just an aspect that I found really interesting. Very cool. So that's character creation pretty much in, in holistically, but what's the actual gameplay like, Will? How does the gameplay work? We know, we know how characters are made. We know all the things that are relevant towards them, but how do they in- actually interact with this system and, and, and the broader storyline? Yeah, absolutely. So this game is really simple in that every single check takes place with one single D6. It's all right. you have to carry. It's all you have to remember. You just roll the dice and you either pass or you don't. There's um, a bunch of uh, dice goblins out there crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Use their shiny clickety clacks. <laughs> I'm going to look at my collection and shed a single tear. <laughs> um, but it makes it really easy, I think, for new players because you don't have to buy any specialty dice. It's not like it's a single, you know, D10 like we had most of The Witcher. It's just a D6. Everyone has a D6. Or if you don't, you you know where to buy a D6. Or you know what a six-sided dice looks yeah, like. Yeah, you've definitely <laughs> not, seen a, a six-sided dice. Yeah, you've seen a six-sided dice at one point in your life, not how no one's, like, hardly anyone's ever seen a D8. And they're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Yeah. Like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. So in that, in that sense, it's really accessible and it's really easy to jump into. Now- Skill checks uh, happen the way that they happen in a lot of RPGs. You um, you say you want to do something. The GM, in this case it's me, will say, yeah, cool, roll for your driving skill. You will roll the dice and you will either pass or fail. The exception to that is using investigative skills. Now, okay. in investigative skills, if you have any level in that skill, you get the clue. You just you, oh. you discover the clue. the The tricky thing with um, investigative skills, as opposed to everything else, is that you can then spend cool, uh, sorry, pull points from your investigative skills if you want to to try and get more information. So if you I have, um, let's say, you have points in uh, fashion, you are going to recognize two different boot prints in the ground. Okay, but if you spend a, a pull point from your fashion and do a skill check and you're successful in that, you might be able to tell that, okay, this shoe print is um, a lot, you know, a lot shallower in the dirt than the other one. So that means that the person who was following the other person is heavier because they've sunk into the ground deeper. Or you could be like, I know that this treadmark has a symbol in it and yeah. that symbol is this brand of shoe and this is the only place that sells those shoes in town. Absolutely, yeah. So Great. fashion gives That's you cool. the clue. You see the two boot, pr- boot prints, but using those pull points allows you to just get extra sort of information or extra flavour now, it does say that in doing a skill check, if you sort of, if your sleuths are, uh, are sort of wandering around a bit, they're not quite sure what to do, the GM can prompt them by saying, hey, who has a point in photography they want to spend or something like that? Um, that's just sort of the GM prompting saying, look, there is extra stuff here if you want it, if you want it. Okay. Yeah. So when when you're doing an investigation, do the players need to- say, like, do they need to investigate specific things for those investigation checks to come up? For example, do they have to go, I want to use my photography investigative skill to look in this room? Or is it like um, they see photos and then they're prompted to 
use their skill. No, they should use their skills to search for clues. So you might okay, go, okay, I look, see. can I look around this this um this crime scene and see if there is any um well, let me just have a look at the skills for a second. Uh can I have a look if we're at an outdoors crime scene, can I have a look around and see if there's any disturbed bushes or anything like that? That's a yeah, that's I an think. example of prompting for a clue. Um but yeah, again, so it's not an, it's not it's not like an it's it's only an automatic su- success. It's not an automatic discovery. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. see. Okay, yeah. okay. Cool, cool, but cool. It makes it really easy. If you have the the skill, you get the points. If you have any any points in the in the skill, you get the clue. Even if you don't have any pool in your pool left, you still get the clue. You just might not be able to get that okay. extra information. All right. All right, I'm I'm getting it now. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. I, I love that. There's nothing. There's nothing like more disheartening when you have a lot of points in a single thing as a character, and you're you you fail at it, and you're like, this is my whole character's thing. Like, how can I possibly fail in this one thing I've put all my points into? And it's it's great to see yeah. that. It's like, well, you just actually have to use it at all to to actually for it to be useful, which is really great. Exactly, and I think that's the writers sort of recognizing that. This game is about the mystery. And if you miss the mystery, if you miss, you know, important clues that will lead you to discovering what the mystery is because you misrolled or something like that, it's not going to create a very fun experience for everyone. They all, they say throughout yeah. the whole thing, it's about the mystery and it's about putting the clues together. It's not about having to get them, you know, it being a slog to get them. It's just about getting them and then sort of working out what's going on. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, I like that. It's sort of, it seems to be a little bit um, the opposite of what the Witcher system is, where it's like you still need to make checks. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if you are really good in, good at good at it. I mean, it, it, it did, that game did get to a point where if your skill was high enough, you just passed the DC without even rolling. Yes. But I feel like that is either more late game stuff or like highly specialized character creation. Yeah. And even then the game tries to stop you from doing that anyway. So it's good to see that the, I've never seen this sort of automatic success system in a game before. I've played a lot of different systems. So I'm, I'm cool. To, I'm, I'm really happy to see this unique feature um, in the gameplay. I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it, it's important to note that that is just for investigative skills. Yes, for, yes, it is. For yeah. both general skills and interpersonal skills, if you want to do something um, and you don't have any level in it, it's unlikely you're going to be able to do it. You might still right. pull it off, but it's unlikely. If you spend- And that's based off the difficulty, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Now, the, yeah. the, okay. the, the game sort of says that, <clears throat> and this is obviously for the GM to sort of work out um, along with what you know, the, the, the sleuth is wanting to do. The game sort of recommends that most, uh, most difficulties, unless it's something really difficult, should sit at around a four. So if you have- um, you know, a level in, in a general skill, if you spend at least three points, you will succeed in it unless it's yeah, something okay. outrageously difficult. Um, but, sure. it, but again, they put that emphasis on solving the mystery, just putting together the clues, exploring and, and, and discovering what's going on. I feel like you do need to weigh up a lot as well because if you, if you need to pass a four and you're putting three points in, and that means, yeah, great, you can automatically succeed, but now you've used your entire pool of this ability and that's it for the whole, the entirety of the rest of the session, yeah, right? So, yeah. like, you really do have to prioritise where you want to put your skills. Absolutely, yeah. Or where you want to put, where you want to use your pool points, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, that's um that's uh that's pretty much uh gameplay. We've covered pretty much everything that we had on our dot points. So yeah, look, that great. it's okay. it's fairly simple. Um which I think is great, especially because this does seem to be aimed at um younger people. Making it really simple yeah. to play is is the best way to ensure that they're going to enjoy themselves. That's really cool and probably I imagine great for newcomers to to uh tabletops as well yeah because you, you, because there are so little skills it's always that single dice again it's going to make your life really easy yeah absolutely now you've spoken a bit about combat and and it's unique uh the unique perspective that this game takes on it do you yeah. want to talk us through combat specifically why it's different and and what stands out about it yeah. for you so as i mentioned earlier um Physical combat and physical fighting is really discouraged in this game, which I think is really re- a really interesting take um, because a lot of the RPGs, especially, you know, the ones that we've we've covered so far on, on Tabletop Unknown are very sort of combat centric games. Now, what this this uh, world is trying to, to say to you is that if you go out and start getting into fistfights with everyone at school. You're not going to be at school very long. You're going to be asked to move on, and then you know. So, so you know, if you walk down the street and just punch some guy out, you're going to get arrested. You're going to be there's going to be like intense blowback on yeah. that. So it's the real world. Yeah, absolutely. And they they are trying to put in this sense of realism, like modern realism, into the into the game, which I think is fantastic. Conflict is usually some sort of intense social conflict. It's not a physical fight. It's like it's, a, it's arguments okay. and it's. Uh, it's um, you know uh, d- debating and things like that. Social, uh, maybe some sort of emotional bullying. If you want to get a little bit more intense with it, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which the book does also say. Look, just be careful because a lot of the things you know that come out in in that sort of like intense bullying might be triggering for some people. So just be aware of, like, of that. Oh, that's right. We're recreating my exact childhood. Yeah. Oh, oh no. That's the thing I'm I having a bad reaction. Oh. Now, I'm, now it's awkward. <laughs> oh, no. I know this character isn't me, but I made them. And, oh, boy. Yep. Uh, why? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> look, the game does give you rules for physical combat if you are desperate to include it. Um, but I'm not going to go into it because the game doesn't want you to. So if you're yeah. really interested in this world, but you do want to make a really like intense physical combat character, I'm going to let you discover that yourself. The game doesn't want us to sure. do it, so I'm not going to go into it any more than that. Great. And I'm glad that you've said that to me yeah. <laughs> because I did put the contingency in. I was like, I don't want a fighty character. However- I will make them very good at fighting if they have to. <laughs> so, like, yeah, definitely knowing that combat isn't something that should be sought after is really good. Yeah. Uh, it's really great. And, and it means that you're going to lean hard into everything else as a player, which is really cool. Yeah. So so no physical combat or we're going to try and avoid physical combat because that's what the game wants. Yep. Yeah. So instead we have, like I said, this social combat, which they call throwdowns. Yes. Um, throwdowns, very cool. Yeah. Now, throwdowns are usually some sort of like intense, social, dramatic scene. Um, so it'll be, you know, fingers crossed you guys discover all the clues in our mystery when it's confronting that person. That's going to, in- it, it, that's going to initiate a social combat or a throwdown. And throwdowns yep. are usually initiated utilizing one of the per- interpersonal abilities from a sleuth. And that sort of colours the nature of the conflict. 
So if you initiate a social throwdown, if you initiate a throwdown using uh, gossip as your interpersonal skill, that's going to sort of color the nature of that throwdown into a sort of gossipy, sort of um, rumory type throwdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's so, very cool. So, so, yeah. if, so throwdowns could have sort of different flavors based on the skill yeah, that's based being used. Based on whatever what I'm getting. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. So- yeah, so these this throwdowns occur very similarly to how you might have seen combat occur in another type of system, um, but it is it is about that sort of interpersonal skills and how they're going to colour the um, the nature of the combat. So basically, things are said in a in a throwdown. The skill that's being used is determined. Points are added, and then you roll for success, much like any other skill check. Now, if you succeed in your attack in the throwdown, the Receiver is then going to take one d6 points worth of damage to their cool. Oh, okay, okay. So this is where the health comes in. Yeah. So this is where your cool acts as your health. Now, the cool thing about that, or sorry, the cool thing about cool. <laughs> um, the interesting thing about that is that again, throwdowns can really and your your cool can really affect the game moving forward. So if you have a massive social conflict, social throwdown at say the local arcade the cool that you have to spend to then visit the arcade in the future is going to be more because it's the site of like where you were humiliated almost okay yeah yeah so that's really interesting ways in which um in throwdowns can affect the world now there is a couple of sort of special social attacks that the the um sleuths can use at at any point in time throughout the uh throughout the combat and that's uh insinuate Humble and expose. So insinuation mm, okay. attacks are attacks that use the knowledge of the target against them, and they have to be sort of launched in the company of the target's peers or allies. So an insinuation okay. attack against a cheerleader would need to be done in the presence of other cheerleaders. Yeah, that sort of thing. The insinuate really goes about sort of the reputation destruction way of. Like this, this social combat. Yeah, yeah, and these. So you need witnesses, essentially. Essentially, yeah. yeah. And these sorts of these three attacks have different sort of um, outcomes. So an insinuation attack takes damage away from the the cool if it's successful, but you can add three damage to the next attack if that makes sense. Oh, okay, so it's sort of compounding. If yeah. It, if it- you can either do it to this one or do it to the next one and have this sort of big attack kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So next up we have humble, um, which is, means that uh, the throwdown contest is taking place in a public place um, or on home turf for the target. So again, in the presence of other people, but more about taking place, again, if we go back to the cheerleaders, taking place on the football field where the cheerleaders are practicing as opposed to necessarily needing to be surrounded by the cheerleaders' allies. Yeah, okay. Okay. And in that, in that situation, it adds three to the cool damage. Okay. But okay. a failed attack throws three cool damage onto the sleuth. Ooh, I see. Yeah. So it's sort of a double-edged sword there. You really got to know what you're doing in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. And lastly, we have the expose or expose, I think it is. Um, and an expose attack has to happen in the presence of authorities so either the police or teachers or some sort of yeah perceived authority figure and then a successful expose attack adds three to the cool damage. Um, but again, if it's unsuccessful, the sleuth takes 1d6 plus two cool damage. 
and then gets uh, negative two applied to all rolls uh, in the next contest. Okay. I can already see that your cool values, unless you chucked a bunch of points into them, they're not very high. No, they're not. So 2d6 could finish a combat. Yeah, pretty quick. Absolutely, and again, it's worth just mentioning again that that doesn't mean that your character's dead or that they're unconscious or anything. It just means that they've lost the social combat. There's going to be some things that are that are affected by that. Um, but your character still can go on. They can still uh, they can still do what they need to do. It's just it's going to be harder. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's pretty much um, throwdowns. So can you just describe for us, like, sort of talk us through how like a round. Of this, of this social combat, these throwdowns would go. Yeah, cool. So it sort of takes place in four parts almost. Um, you have the the section that's called begin throwdown. And basically that's just the, the throwdown being initiated. So you pick sort of okay. who the lead characters are in this throwdown. So you might decide based on skills that one person's going to take the lead in this throwdown. Um, and then yep. the, the rest of the sluice can either um, cooperate and help that that person who's taking the lead, or they can start their own separate throwdown contests. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And, and is th- this is where this sort of phase, this begin throwdown, that's also where you choose your optional cold attacks, isn't yes, it? Yes, exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you you would decide if you are going to do one of those cold attacks, you insinuate, your humble, or your expose. Um, and then the, the GM, so in this case it's me, is going to set the difficulty. Now, difficulty checks... Um, are dependent on the class of the person or, or sorry, perceived class or, or perceived status almost. Or situational class and status. Yeah. So in that moment, okay. If you're a bit of a nerd, social throwdown with another nerd is uh, recommended to be at a level three. So you need to roll three or more for that su- attack to be successful. Whereas like a nerd throwing down with, uh, you know, the cheerleader or the jock or something like that. Someone who has a perceived higher status is going to be a bit harder. It's going to be a level four. Um, And then what they've put here, um, level five for special threats. So that might be if your nerdy character is throwing down with the school principal, that might be at a difficulty five. So from there, you then choose, uh, you describe your character's actions, your sleuth's actions. So you can choose uh, any points to spend, and there is a throwdown ability as well, um, or any other interpersonal abilities that you might want to use in this throwdown. Um, any cool points you want to spend or any relationships you want to spend. So you could call on your um, your best friend. You could spend a point from your best friend to have them supporting you, and that comes from the relationship with your best friend. To yeah. add to that success. Okay. I'm just imagining a bunch of like kids going, yeah, yeah. in response to something you've said. And that's like, ooh, three extra damage. <laughs> I'm rubber and you're glue. Oh, no. <laughs> She's right. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. Um, so then it says uh, in, at the start of the round, it says here that the GM then decides who rolls first. That is, uh, I think, a very sort of open way to do it. I imagine that's like what narratively makes the most sense, right? Yeah, yeah. But there is also sort of a formula you can follow here if you want to as oh, okay. well. Um, right. But I, I won't go into that. It's just a lot of rolling and adding and stuff like that. Yeah, so, sure. yeah, you can look sure. at that. So then from there, we have the throwdown happens. Um, the the points are spent. The dice is rolled. 
Uh, and then we have the we compare results. So either one person's going to be uh, above the other, or they're going to be equal. And then that's going to take some hits to the cool. And then from there, we decide if the throwdown's still going or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you you need to sort of get like equal or above to stay in the throwdown. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, you do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you were throwing down with the cheerleader, you need to throw equal or above the cheerleader's role to stay in the in the throwdown. I see. Cool. Because then, because then that sort of like you can lose cool from from what I can see is like you can lose cool from this from from this moment, but still roll below and then have lost the throwdown immediately. Yes. Even though you're you still have cool points. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I see. That's really cool. Oh, say so. So you can lose and all run away, and then you basically describe what happens, yep. like based on the damage, and then the scene is over, and that's it. Cool. And then there's a little thing for damage there, yeah. which is surprise, surprise, very simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, no One d six, two d six. Great. Yeah, plus plus three, plus minus three. Very simple, very easy. I love the language in this book because, like, standard damage is one d six. Cool. The yeah. opponent is crushing it. Yeah. Is two d six like this? This bitch is throwing down. She's crushing she her. Crushed it's it. So, so good. And then also, there's different damage for if you insinuate, humiliate, expose. Eh? Yeah, which we sort of touched That's on. That's cool. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's all laid out very nicely in that sort of flow oh, chart. And you can even you can even deflect damage. I was actually thinking about this. You can sort of put damage onto a relationship instead. Yeah. So you can That's sort cool. of um, you can use. Or you can reduce. Damage by yeah. relationship. If you can narrate how it applies, yeah, hundred percent. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. I like that. That's an that's a good take on on social combat. I like that. Mm. But that's uh, pretty much all there is to understand about Bubble Gumshoe. We've covered it. That's it. Wonderful. That's great. Mm. That is such a simple system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That actually still has depth to it. That the core rulebook is about. 300 pages but the players really only need to read those two sections on character and gameplay the rest is for the gm and the physical size of the book is only about the size of an a5 piece of paper so yeah it's three like it's 300 pages that might sound like a lot but it is half the size of an Quite small. that's so good that's great very easy to read very easy to pick up and and comprehend that's wonderful all right well i guess we'll talk uh, now that we're done done with the system itself, I guess we'll just quickly touch on DM and players. So, Will, you are our GM for this season. Um, yes. Very excited. Yes, yes. We are very fortunate that we have some wonderful people here um, to play with us for this season. We have Aiden, Angie, and Emily, mm-hmm. um, who are all very keen to get into the game. Um, I'm very excited. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, I'm fairly confident that pretty new as well they're all pretty new players they are yeah yeah aiden plays with us and that's his i think that's his first sort of game yeah so angie and emily have not touched anything so yeah wonderful that's so great Mm. and they will probably play the genre correctly i imagine (laughs) no i don't know that angie's uh, one of angie's favorite shows growing up was veronica mars so i'm I'm sure she's keen to get into it Great. This is excellent. I'm very excited. Mm. But you have a little story for us, Will. I do. Uh, your, your intro into next season to, to tease set the palette. To set the palette, if you will. Wonderful. Take us away, please, GM.
Located just over three hours drive from the world famous New York City, the town of Winstead Green, Massachusetts is anything but world famous. Known instead for its general aesthetic of nutmeg, welcoming local diners, snowy winters and crabapple trees, Winstead Green is home to a population of approximately 40,000 people, with the local economy relying on tourism, farming and the small granite quarry on the northeastern side of the town just to stay afloat. JFK Memorial High hosts 849 students in years 9 to 12 and boasts some of the highest academic scores in the country. The Winstead Green Panthers, a state champion football team, also calls JFK Memorial High home, some of their players going on to gain full scholarships at Harvard, Yale, or any of the other eight Ivy League schools that inhabit the northeast of America. In order to meet a demand by the student body, the principal, Dr. Anna Kendrick, uh, ordered the establishment of a new <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. Ordered the establishment of a student newspaper, the Winstead Green Gazette. Acting as part detectives, part journalists, the investigative journalistic team, or the IJT, behind the Gazette are some of the most respected and most reviled students in the school. If a student has a problem that needs solving, they usually stop by the offices of the Gazette first. If a student is up to no good, they'd better hope the IJT does not get wind of it. It is late February, and winter is holding on particularly tight this year. The frost has not even begun to melt, and the smell of burning cedar still emanates from every house. Being a small town, it's inevitable that whispers will find their way to you, and the whispers speak of troubling times. A missing bicycle, a student in distress, strange lights from the reservoir. However, with prom only three days away, you barely have time to get ready for the biggest night of senior, ne senior year, let alone solve yet another mystery. Being a teenager is the worst. Oh, that's great! Will. Yeah, I'm it's, so it's going to be good. I'm enjoy I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing how we go and seeing how you guys go solving the mystery. So much yeah. going on: stolen mm. bikes, student in distress, lights at the reservoir. I don't know what that is, but that's that's great. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to get yeah. into this. Well, we will find out next week. Next week, excellent. We will see you then. All right, see you guys. Table top. Unknown